I don't know if you have been to a store in the last three, four, maybe five or six weeks, uh, but if you have, you've, been come, you've come face-to-face with what I call this terrible tragedy that happens every time at this time of year. And so if you haven't been to a store any time recently, I want to just show you. There's a picture. We walked into a store recently, and, and this is what we encountered. When we walked in the door, literally this is like the first couple of shelves right there, all right? Um, and so this is the tragedy I want to show you because the, the, if, if you can see, there's just Christmas stuff everywhere. There's decorations. There's stockings. There's, there's just all of this stuff about Christmas everywhere, right? And, I, and, and, and before you label me as a Grinch, before you say, oh, he's just anti-Christmas and he just bah humbug and all that, he's screwed and all that, before you do that, I want to share with you, I love Christmas. Like, I have a great time at Christmas. We have lots of great family traditions. I love the, the holiday of Christmas. I love the celebration what it all stands I love Christmas, but I just don't love it this early, all right? And I'm just not quite ready for it. I know that, that even looking at this picture, some of you guys are, you're pumped about Christmas. You're already excited about it. I know there's some people that already plan to put their Christmas tree up. Some of you may already have your Christmas tree up, and I'm not going to judge you for that. I'm just going to say, I'm not there yet, okay? So don't invite me over yet, all right? I'll come visit you some other time. But for me, just, just we tend to overshadow what kind of this moment in this season, this year is, right? So I'm going to show you this tragedy. is because everybody see this just massive Christmas stuff everywhere, right? Then we're going to zoom in way up at the top, and you're going to see way up there at the top, there's this little bitty pumpkin on the next shelf over that says, Give Thanks. That's it. There are literally aisles and aisles of Christmas stuff all over the place. But if you want Thanksgiving, like you got to get over and through all of that stuff and find this one little pumpkin. And you can buy this one little pumpkin that says give thanks, A, if you can find it, and B, if you can navigate all that Christmas stuff that's all around it, right? Now, I'll share that with you again, not to be a Grinch, not to, to downplay the Christmas spirit or anything like that, but simply to say, I honestly feel that a lot of us, we operate this season just like that 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 store does and like that picture does. I can almost guarantee that most of you are making Christmas plans. You're thinking about Christmas gifts. You're thinking about wrappings. You're thinking about all of this stuff that's going to happen at Christmas. And then maybe we'll give thanks if we find it on a pumpkin on the second shelf somewhere way up high. Like it's kind of an afterthought for us. And so uh, to kind of help us kind of put things in perspective, I like to remind folks of the forgotten holidays, that, that there are two other holidays between now and Christmas, right? And some of you are like, wait, two holidays? I thought just one. There's Veterans Day, which is very important, okay? Don't forget Veterans Day on the 11th. And then there's Thanksgiving, right? So to get us in that season of Thanksgiving, we're going we're gonna to work on this for the next few weeks. In fact, the next three weeks, we're going to kind of talk about this idea of giving thanks and being thankful for it. And, and we're just not going to do it just kind of in the general, hey, everybody should give thanks. Like, we're going to talk about some specific things that we should be thankful for, some specific ideas, some specific things that, that we so often just take for granted that we forget that we should be praising God, we should be thankful for these specific things. And this morning may sound like an odd topic. We're going to talk about being thankful and giving thanks for your health, but your physical health and your spiritual health. It's one of those things that we so often take for granted. We're going to look at Luke chapter 18 this morning, or 17, excuse me, Luke chapter 17 this morning. And we're going to kind of be honest and we're going to be prayerful about this idea that we so often forget to express thanksgiving to God for the help that He has given us and, and the many uh, blessings that come with that. And so if you've got your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 17. We'll start in verse 11. Um, and unfortunately, we'll, we'll kind of uh, work through all of these points and we'll get through all of them and we'll see how great of a blessing our health is. But Luke chapter 17, 
starting in verse 11. You can read along with me. The words will be on the screen beside me. um, Or you can follow along in your copy of God's Word. But verse 11 says, While traveling to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men with serious skin diseases met him. And they stood at a distance and raised their voice, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he told them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And while they were going, they were healed. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. And he fell face down at his feet, thanking him. And he was a Samaritan. Verse 17, Then Jesus said, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he told him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much. God, we thank you honestly that there are young people in our church and kids in our church, God, that can lead us into your presence. God, through the words of the songs that they sing, and God, honestly, just watching their attitudes and their hearts, God, give us a pure picture of what it looks like to worship you and not to worry about any of the other stuff that we so often bring to this moment, Father. So, God, I pray that we've already worshipped you. God, I pray that we, we meant what they, we sang just a few moments ago about the Spirit of God coming and welcoming you into this place, but... God, I thank you that we've already seen a picture of that in the lives of these young people. And God, I pray that we are challenged by that regardless of our age, regardless of our talents and abilities. God, I pray that we are challenged to do exactly what these young folks did. God, to give everything they have, whatever talent it is, to you and to let themselves be used by you, Father. And so, God, I thank you and I praise you that that this was the worship that we got to experience this morning. God, it's not about them. It's about them leading us to you. And so, Father, I thank you that we just saw a picture of you through them. And we got a chance to be at your feet this morning through the, the leading of their worship this morning, Father. God, I pray as we continue our worship, God, that you continue to lead us. I pray that you continue to teach us, God. I pray that, uh, God, we continue to sit at your feet and, and listen to your word this morning, Father. God, I pray that when we leave here, God, we will leave here knowing that you are the master. God, I pray that we leave here knowing that we have such great blessings to be thankful for. God, I pray that we leave here knowing the blessings that we so often take for granted. And God, I pray that we leave here changed because we have been in your presence, because we've been fed by your word this morning, Father. And so, God, I pray that you speak, and I pray that we listen. And God, I pray that we are changed by your word this morning, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As I think about things to be thankful for and, and kind of coming into this Thanksgiving season, there's one thing that has kind of resonated with me over these past few weeks that, that I think maybe all of us can agree to be thankful for. And this one thing is that this November and this December will be very different than last November and last the November before that. I don't know if you realize this, but last November and last December, you were probably bombarded with all of these messages that told you for your health and for the health of people around you, it was better if you didn't get with other people, if you kind of avoided other people. And so all those family traditions, all those family get-togethers, all those, uh, those times that you got together as a family and your cousins, your aunts and uncles and all those extended families, you were told over the past couple years that, that the best thing to do was not to have those, to limit who you were around and limit uh, kind of your exposure to other people because of the COVID 
19 pandemic, the best way to protect your health and the health of your family was really not to be around them, to, to really kind of distance yourself. And, and, and it, it seems like that's been so long ago, but I, I went back and just thought about it. Like, that was just last year. That last year, that was the message. Don't be around your family. Kind of isolate yourself and protect yourself during this time. And, and that's been the message of the last two Novembers and Decembers. And so I am so thankful that this year... I haven't heard any of that, and I'm so thankful that we're past kind of that stage, and I know that it's not past for everybody, and I understand that, and people make their choices, and I understand all that, but I'm so glad that the dominant lesson that we are hearing, the dominant thing that we're hearing uh, kind of in, in health circles is not to, to distance yourself, that we're kind of past those things, but I really think that one of the dominant lessons that COVID-19 and this worldwide pandemic taught us is there is an amazing connection between our, our social interactions and our physical health. I think that if we didn't learn anything else, then we kind of should have learned through these numerous studies and research that have been done through the pandemic and even since the pandemic, that there's a great difficulty when we isolate ourselves, that it not only affects our mental health, but affects our physical health as well. And so there is this connection between our social interactions and our physical health. There's these connections that happen when we isolate ourselves and we find that we physically impair our health. And I want to read to you an article or part of an article that I read this past week that highlights a study that's been done on this situation. It says this, that if you are in poor health, you may be more likely to socially isolate or, or yeah, you may be socially isolated or lonely. If you're socially isolated or feeling lonely, it can put your physical and mental health at risk. Adults who are lonely and socially isolated are less healthy, they have longer hospital stays, and are readmitted to the hospital more often, and are more likely to die earlier than those who have meaningful, supportive social connections. And so what these researchers have found is that when you are sick or unhealthy, you tend to isolate, you tend to disconnect from those that are around you, right? Now let me be clear that's not always a bad thing, right? Let's just be clear. If you've got a fever or your kids are running a fever, it's okay not to be around people when that's happening, right? It's okay to, to isolate and to say, hey, we're, we're going to not spread this. We're not going to share this love or this germ or whatever this is. We're just going to stay home for a few days until this thing passes, and we're going to be good, right? That's not a bad thing. That's actually a good idea, right? So don't, don't hear me say, like, hey, Pastor Michael said, if you're sick, come to church anyway. That's not what I'm saying, okay? If you're sick... Stay home, watch online, we'll all be happy together, okay? Um, it, but there is times when isolation is necessary, but what these researchers found is when that isolation becomes extreme or when that isolation becomes a prolonged period of time, that's when problems set in. That, that when someone's sick, they isolate themselves, they tend to withdraw from, from the social groups, and they kind of do it for good reasons. But, but over a period of time, that really does kind of hinder their physical recovery. And so if you understood what it said, that these extreme long, extreme long times of isolation really do have these problems. They, they cause you to have higher blood pressure. They cause you to, to be readmitted to the hospital more often, be less healthy. Your hospital stays are even longer, which causes your isolation to increase. And then you're even there sicker longer. And so we find there's this connection between isolation and our physical health. We find that when we are isolated, we're less healthy. When we're less healthy, we isolate ourselves. And so when we find these extremely 
long periods or extreme isolations. And I'm talking about extreme isolations where you just completely cut yourself off from everybody. Right? You, you don't call anybody. You don't answer anybody. You don't receive text messages. You quit checking Facebook to feel like you're connected with anybody. That's what I mean by an extreme Isolation, not just that you weren't around people, but you physically and you kind of mentally cut yourself off from everybody else. And so sickness often leads to isolation. And this isolation or extreme isolation really does slow down the healing process is what they found. And so we didn't need a worldwide pandemic in 2020 to teach us that. In fact, it was a pretty clear understanding even in the first century. You see, in the first century was when Jesus was traveling around. And, and we, by the time we get to Luke verse, or chapter 17, Jesus has been traveling around for several years now, for a few years now. And he's done some amazing miracles. He's cast out demons. He's raised people from the dead. He's healed people of all kinds of sickness. And word has really started to spread about who he is and what he's capable of doing. Right? And so then he's moving. He's traveling to different areas as he's doing this ministry. And so that's time we get to verse 11, uh, this story that starts in verse 11 really should not be a surprise to us because we've seen him do amazing things in the chapters previous to this. But the time we get to verse 11, it says that Jesus was traveling, or while Jesus was traveling to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. Now, some of you know this, but Galilee is kind of in the northern part of Israel. Jerusalem is in the southern part of Israel, all right? So you've got the northern part of Galilee, you've got the southern part where Jerusalem is, and then you have this middle territory, which is Samaria, all right? And so what it's telling you is he's traveling kind of between those two. This is my map, in case you didn't know what I'm doing. This is the north, this is the south, here's the middle section, all right? So you've got Galilee, you've got Jerusalem down here, and then you've got this middle Samaritan section. And, and Jesus is traveling from the north to the south, and he's kind of in this in-between section. He, he's kind of in this, what we would consider a border town, a border area, right? In verse 12, it tells us that there's this certain village that he goes to. Now, before we get into this village, you need to understand that it, these are not just geographical locations. These are people's identities, right? People were from Galilee, or people were from Jerusalem or Judah, or people were from Samaria. And what you need to know to make this story completely make sense is the people up here and the people down here, they like each other, but you know what they don't like? The people here. Okay, So the Galileans and the Jerusalem people and the Judea people, they're all fine with each other. What they don't like is this group in the middle called the Samaritans. And the feeling is mutual. This Samaritan group, they don't like their neighbors to the north or they don't like their neighbors to the south. And we're not talking about violent war. We're not talking about physical violence. We're just talking about we just don't like you and you don't like us. So we're just going to have this mutual dislike of each other. And there's a whole family history. There's a whole long history that we won't get into. We don't have time to get into this morning. But Jesus is traveling. He's traveling south and he finds himself passing through this area, this Samaritan Galilean area. And so in verse 12, he comes to this village in this town in this area. And we would call it like a border town today, this village that kind of sits on the border. And like I said, it's it's not exactly a friendly border. It's not a, a violent border. Uh, but there's just kind of, you can imagine that if you were in this town of these two groups that didn't really like each other, you can kind of imagine there's, there's probably this constant tension going on. That we're just have disdain for them. They have disdain for us. And, and we're going to look down on them. They're going to look down on us. And so you can kind of probably just feel this constant tension in the air. But kind of the amazing thing that verse 12 tells us is the excitement of the story doesn't even happen in the town. It happens outside of the town. Verse 12 says that as he entered the village, or as he was coming to the front of the village, ten men with serious skin diseases met him. 
And they stood at a distance. And so it's interesting that Jesus, he's coming into the city, he's coming to this town, and there's ten people that come out to meet him. Right? And now, as popular as Jesus was, as famous as Jesus was at this time, you would think this would be the mayor and the town council. Like, this is going to be a huge parade. Like, we're going to go out, we're going to meet Jesus, we're going to bring him into our town. You would think, like, this would be the dignitaries, this would be the town leaders. You would think the, the important people would be the first ones to come out and meet Jesus. But it's not. These ten men are outside the village, not because they want to be. They didn't come outside to meet Jesus. They're outside the village because that's where they live. They're outside the village because of what it says in verse 12, because they have this serious skin condition. And another translation would, would kind of identify it rightly as they have leprosy or they are lepers. And, and so if some of you are familiar with the Old Testament, you may be familiar with the book of Leviticus. In uh, chapter 13, I think it is, in Leviticus, it talks about a whole chapter about leprosy and what leprosy is and what leprosy looks like and, and what happens when someone has leprosy. And so we won't go through chapter uh, 13 of Leviticus, but I'll give you kind of the brief overview of, of leprosy for just a moment. It kind of starts with these little blisters or this little rash on your skin, right? And then if you had those little blisters or those little rash show up on your skin, your job was to go show yourself to the priest, right? In fact, if you read verse or uh, Leviticus 13, you were to be taken to the priest. So if you tried to hide it and you tried to like cover it up, somebody else's job was to get you to the priest. And the priest kind of acts as a, a, a dermatologist at the time. He looks at it, and based on all these criteria in the book of Leviticus, he determines if this is leprosy, if this is dangerous or not. Because in those days, and still today, leprosy is still around, and it's caused by this bacterial infection. Right? And so for purposes of helping the whole community, if he determined it was leprosy, you had to go stay outside of the community. You could not be part of the community. You couldn't be part of the village. You had to go live kind of outside where nobody else was at. If there was a wall, you had to live outside of that wall. You had to live outside the gates. You could not even come in to the gates, right? And so what starts is these small blisters, the, this red rash over your skin, it eventually progresses to cause major nerve damage. And you can end up with numbness in your fingers, in your feet, in your toes, that really work its way in the majority of your body. And so really the danger of leprosy is not so much the skin rash, it's the numbness that comes with it because you could literally cut your finger and be bleeding out and never even feel it. You wouldn't even know it. Someone who has severe leprosy could be walking and, and break their ankle to the point that they can't walk on it, but they don't know it because they don't feel it. They don't have any nerve endings that are active in their extremities. Right? And so it becomes dangerous not just the disease, but what happens to you when you don't have those nerve endings, when you don't feel pain, when you don't feel anything in those extremities. And so a lot of folks died not just of leprosy, but the effects of leprosy. Right? And one of the other things that affected your vocal cords, like you, you couldn't stand up here and talk, you had this kind of raspy, shallow voice, right? And because your nerves and your vocal cords were affected by this. And it all started with this little rash or this little uh, set of blisters on your skin. And so the Old Testament law was pretty clear that if this rash showed up, you had to go show yourself to the priest. And he looked at you and he had all these criteria that he was looking for. And if he thought it was leprosy, if he had a, a, con a consideration or he had a concern that it was leprosy, he would tell you to isolate yourself for a minimum of seven days. After seven days, you could be reevaluated, and then you, if it was still there, you had to go back outside, and then you could check for seven days. And so, let me just be honest, the CDC didn't invent isolation. It didn't invent quarantine. The Old Testament had it a long time ago, right? They may have taken it to an extreme, but at least the idea was there, right? So, you had to do this, and for some of these folks, this didn't go away. 
For some of them, the infection couldn't heal itself, and they didn't take care of itself, didn't matter what they put on it. And so they would go show themselves to the priest after seven days. He'd be like, no, you still got it. You got to go out. And so they would go back outside, and they would come back seven days later, and they'd still have it. And finally, they would get where they would just give up. They, they still had these blisters. They still had this rash. And so for the rest of their life, they had to spend it outside the gates. For the rest of their life, they weren't allowed to come in the city. They weren't allowed to come in the town. And so for some of you, you're like, well, that's, that sounds like vacation. But let me remind you what that meant. That meant that you couldn't be with your family. That meant that you couldn't be with your friends. That meant that your kids that you love to come home and, and give a big, huge hug to at the end of a long, hard day, you couldn't touch them. You couldn't be around them. Your wife that you greet every morning with a kiss, you couldn't do that. You couldn't be around them. In fact, it was so contagious and they were so worried about it that you had to distance yourself from everybody else, physically distance yourself from everybody else. And if somebody got close to you, you legally had to cover your mouth with your hand and you had to yell the words unclean, unclean, unclean over and over until they got the idea that they were too close to you. Right? Makes that six feet from the COVID sound a little easier. At least we didn't have to yell that we were unclean and those kind of things. But this was how these folks lived. They lived this way. And, and this was the rest of their lives that they had to spend the rest of their lives isolated and separated from their family and from their friends because no one was allowed to be near them. And the reason that, they, that we, we see the end of verse 12, that they came to meet Jesus, but notice is they come to meet Jesus they know they're not allowed to be close to Jesus. So even though they're coming to meet Jesus, they still stand at a distance from Him. Their sickness had caused this isolation that everybody, from, from everybody they knew, everybody they loved, they couldn't be around their families, they couldn't be around their friends, they couldn't be around their co-workers, they couldn't even go and do business in the marketplace. So they couldn't sell anything, they couldn't buy anything. They literally were dependent on folks feeling sorry for them and coming and throwing food at them at a distance. That was their life. That was the isolation and the, the situation they found themselves in. There was no contact, no social connections. Everything was severed by the sickness. And, and understand, they didn't live in a time where they could FaceTime each other. They didn't live in a time where they could call each other. They didn't even live in a time where they could share pictures or, or keep up with the family on Facebook. That, that even if they did have those tools, they would still find themselves unable to participate in all the activities that they looked forward to. They, they could watch their kids, and, and some of us today, we can watch our kids grow up on Facebook, but we're not at the game, we just watch it on Facebook. Some of us just watch kids worship, and we were here in person, but there's people who couldn't be here in person, so they're going to watch online. And it's different when you have to watch it online versus being here. And so understand that even if they had these tools, they still couldn't enjoy all the activities they wanted to. And so one of the saddest parts about taking our health for granted is that we often forget to be thankful. We're often not thankful, not just for our health, but for all the things that our health allows us to do because it affects every aspect of our life. You see, how different would our world be? How different would your life be if for the next seven days you were told to be completely cut off from your family? With no warning, no preparation. This is not a vacation time for you. You literally had something pop up on your skin. You walked over to the priest and he said, you got to go for at least seven days. How different would your life be if for seven days you had to separate from everybody you cared about? And when I say separate, like you couldn't even go back and say goodbye. You couldn't even go explain it to your kids. You literally had to get out of town at that particular moment. How different would our lives be? How different would your days be if those seven days of isolation really turned into the rest of your life? You see, we should be thankful for our health. 
Because we have so many things that we enjoy that our health allows us to enjoy. And so you may have had to endure some aches and pains to get here this morning, but be thankful you were still healthy enough to get here. For you guys that are watching online, you, you, you may not feel the best and you may have some health situations, but at least be thankful that you've got a screen that you can see or you've got ears that you can hear the, the being part of what we're doing this morning. And so uh, there are things that we often take for granted. And I simply, simply think about this. How many people would love to have the health that we so often complain about? You think there are 10 men who have to spend the rest of their life. And we don't know how many years they've spent out there. Some of them are days, some of them months. I imagine that they're, they're kind of long term. Uh, but, but we have these 10 men. And I would almost wonder how many of these 10 men would trade your aches and pains for a moment to spend with their family. How many of these 10 men would, would trade or would welcome the headache that would keep you out of church for a moment just to sit in this place that you're sitting in right now. I wonder how many of these 10 men would take your arthritis and your pains and your aches and all that just for a chance to shake somebody's hand or give their kid a hug. You see, those are things we take for granted because our health allows us to do those things. Those are things that we don't think about. Those are the things that we, we just kind of take for granted. They're just always there. And my guess is that every single one of these 10 men would trade your health for theirs in just a moment. And let's bring it back to the 21st century for just a moment. I've never visited the hospital where the person in the bed wouldn't trade places with somebody, anybody, sitting outside of that bed. I've never been in the hospital where somebody says, hey, listen, I just love being here. I'm just so glad I'm in this hospital room, and, and I'm just so excited to be here. And I'm so glad that I'm not walking up and walking out of this door like you are. I've never had anybody in that situation. You see, and I know that some of you are sitting here, and I know that some of you are, are living with very difficult uh, health situations, and, and you're dealing with all kinds of things that some of us can't even imagine. But I want you to share this with you. I want you to listen. That your health might need be, not be perfect. It may not even be good. But we need to be thankful for it because there are people sitting in hospitals right now. There are people in nursing homes right now. There are full places that would love to trade places with you. Just because their sickness has forced them into an isolation they didn't plan for and they couldn't do anything about. And so as bad as our health may get, as difficult as it was to get up and get going this morning, as difficult it was to, to put, overcome some aches and pains, your toothaches, or whatever it was, understand there's a people that would trade your spot in a heartbeat. We need to be thankful for the health that we have. It may not be perfect, it may not be great, but the moment that we don't have it is the moment we realize how valuable it was. I imagine that every one of these ten leopards, they came to meet Jesus, and every one of them kind of felt this same idea. They would do anything if they could go back to the time they were healthy. They would trade their situation for yours and your health in a moment. And their isolation was so intense. They were willing to do anything they could to end it. See, but there's only one thing they could do. There was only one thing they could do to end their isolation. And that's the cry out to the one who has control over the situation. To, to ask and really to beg the one who can change something about their situation. This is exactly what we do. What they do is we read on in this story and we, get, and we find out that as they beg for it, they, they get exactly what they ask for. You see, Jesus approaches this village. These ten men come towards him and they keep their distance from him because they know they're supposed to. But instead of covering their mouth and yelling unclean, they, they open their mouth and they say something else. Right? And so I want you to look in verse uh, 13 with me. Excuse me, the end of verse, yeah, verse 13. The end of verse 12 says, They came, they stood at a distance. In verse 13, they raised their voice, saying, Jesus, 
Master, have mercy on us. All right? Now remember, one of the effects of leprosy is you don't have a strong voice. So they're not yelling. They're not screaming. They probably have this low, raspy voice that they, this is all they can get out. Right? But I want you to see what they say. They address Jesus as master. It means that they see him as an overseer, a commander, and, and someone who has an authority, who is a supreme authority. And he doesn't just have authority over them, but he has authority over the condition that they find themselves in. Right? This is a word that is not used very often, but one of the times it is used is in Luke chapter 8. And some of you may be familiar with the story in Luke chapter 8. The disciples are on a boat. Jesus is sleeping in the boat, and this big storm comes by, and, and the disciples, who most of them were fishermen, most of them knew what they were doing, they start to panic because of how big this storm is. They are scared, literally, that they are getting ready to die. And so in Luke chapter 8, I'll oh, get the verse, verse 24, this is the title they use when they wake him up, and they say, Jesus, or Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and he rebuked the winds and the raging of the water. And they ceased and they were calm. You see, there's this recognition that Jesus as master, as overseer, he controls not only them, but he controls the situation that's around them. That if anybody can change their situation, it is him. And these ten lepers, they realize this same thing. They use this same title for Jesus. Jesus, master, the one who has authority, the one who has power to change our situation. If anybody can do anything for us, it's got to be you. You are the master. You are the overseer. And something else that's kind of neat, out of all the New Testament, this is the only time this word is used by anybody other than one of the 12 disciples. Only the 12 disciples refer to Jesus using this term. And here we have 10 men who know that Jesus can change their situation. They know he has this power. And there's this acknowledgement that he has the authority and the power to do this. And there's this acknowledgement that he has the ability. They have this confidence that he has the ability to make things different, that he can change their situation. And they cry out that he's the master. Please have mercy or have compassion on us. Have you ever been there? Some of you have. Some of us have been so desperate. Some have found ourselves in such a hopeless, helpless situation that we have tried everything. We've gone to every place we can think of. We've gone through every situation that we can think of. And yet, we have nothing to bring hope to our situation. We have only one choice, and that's to cry out for mercy and compassion. And some of us have been there because of serious health conditions. Some of us have been there because of bad choices we made. And some of us have even reached this place, and we started making deals with God. God, if you just get me through this then I'll do that. If you just get me through whatever this situation is, then I'll make a change in my life. If you just get me over this hump, then Jesus, I promise I'll, I'll be at church next Sunday. Jesus, if you just get me through this, I'll start reading my Bible more often. And some of them are because of bad choices that, that uh, we made a terrible God, if you just help me kind of overcome this terrible choice, then I'll turn everything around. If you just help me overcome, we make this promise in terrible choices that we made. God, if you, if you just get me through this, I will never do it again. All right? I'll share you a quick story with you. I, I occasionally get to ride along with some of our, our guys that, that patrol the streets at night and our men in blue. And uh, we, I had a chance this weekend to do that. And so Friday night, we did some ride, I did a ride along with them. And I'm going to share with you a sad thing. In 
six hours, we responded to six overdoses in six hours. Just in, the, in, in Rowan County alone, right? Can I share with you that at least two of those six overdoses were people who had overdosed before? They, they were repeat offenders. They were repeat customers to this drug that held power over them. And one of them had even been to rehab and, and he had a terrible situation. And the response was, I can't believe I was so stupid to do this again. I promised, and this is his words, I promised that I would never do this again. You see, some of us reach a place and a point of desperation where we are so desperate because the situation is so bad. We make this promise, God, if you get me through this, I will never do it again. And some of you have been there. Some of you may be there right now. And some of you have made those kind of promises. But I want to share with you something. The power to change your situation comes the acknowledgement that He has the power to do it and not in the promise or the bargain that you make with Him. You see, we don't require bargaining. God doesn't require bargaining. He's not going to change your situation because of a promise you made to Him. Why? Because we see this picture in this story about these men. And I don't know if they were bargaining. I don't know what difference they were going to make in their life. But we see simply this, that these ten men... Their power to change their situation becomes because they acknowledge Him as Master, not because of any bargain they made with Him. And so when they acknowledge Him as Master, when they call out for mercy, He gives them exactly what they asked for in verse 14. They call out to Jesus and they verbally recognize He has this authority and power and they call Master. And then verse 14, it says, When He saw them, He said to them, Go and show yourself to the priest. And while they were going, they were healed. The world... Uh, the word healed there means to be cleansed or, or to be cleansed. And that's exactly what they were calling out for. That God have mercy on us. Change our situation. And so he tells them, go show yourself to the priest. And, and so we go back to the Old Testament for just a moment. The priest was the only one that could officially pronounce you clean. That you had to live in isolation. You had to live secluded until the priest gave you your seal of approval. That you were okay to come back into town. And, and the priest was the only one that can do that. And so he tells them to go show themselves to the priest. And I want you to notice something in the story that's kind of fun. This is one of the few times that he tells them to go do something, but the healing doesn't happen right away. Almost every other time that Jesus heals somebody, he, he touches them, he heals them, and all of a sudden, then they go. But in this story, it's a little different. He tells them, you go show yourself to the priest. Have enough faith. You said that I'm master. Have enough faith in who you say I am that on your way, you're going to be changed. And so they leave their place. They go from wherever they're at. They go show themselves to the priest so that they can be readmitted to society. And the healing doesn't happen right away. It happens on the way. And I can almost imagine the conversations of these ten men. Because when they leave this place, many of them are still covered in these rashes. Many of them are still covered with all these blisters. Many of them have all these, these terrible skin conditions going on. They still have the numbness. When they leave this place, all of that is still there. But as they're going, that stuff starts to change. And could you imagine being in that group of ten? Like you're walking with your friend Bob, who you spent the last six months with because you and Bob are both isolated and you're this is the only sense community. And you look at Bob, and for the last six months, Bob's face has been covered with these red blisters. And all of a sudden, you're walking and you're talking, and you look over at Bob, and his face is just as clear as it's ever been. Like you've never even seen Bob's skin look that good before. And you're like, Bob. Dude, I wish I had a mirror. I'd show you your face. And all of a sudden you look down at your hands and, and you don't see the scaly parts. You don't see those blisters and that rash. And then all of a sudden you start to feel your fingertips. And you start to wiggle your toes a little bit. And you're like, I can feel this. 
Like it's been years since I've felt my fingertips. It's been years since I've felt the sand between my toes. Like this is different. Could you imagine the conversations and how excited these men were? But I imagine that their excitement isn't just that they are feeling this healing happening. I imagine their excitement is about what's going to happen next. Because in their mind, everything is healed up. Everything is cleared. Everything is cleansed. We're going to go to the priest and he's going to say, you're good to go. Your life can go exactly back to where it was before all of this happened. And I imagine that some of them are just so excited. Because for the, some of them, the very first thing they're thinking about is, I'm going to go home and I'm going to kiss my wife for the first time in maybe years. I'm going to go home and my kids that were this tall when, they, when I had to leave and I got kicked out of town, they're now this tall, but guess what? I'm going to hold them like they were this tall. And I'm going to squeeze them, and I'm going to embarrass the snot out of them just because I missed them so much, and I just can't wait to hold on to them. And I don't care if they're teenagers or think they're so big and grown. I'm going to hold on to them so much. And then we're going to do life together. We're going to continue our life just like nothing ever happened. And we're just going to pick up exactly where we, all, where we left off. And, and everything's going to go exactly back to the way it was before I got sick, before I had to go into isolation, before I had to separate, before there was this sickness that came in our life. Everything's going to go exactly back to where it was. You see, I wonder how many of us are just like those men. That we become so excited when we get what we ask for, and yet we become like the nine. You see, when they experience this healing, all of them continue on to the priest except one. And Jesus asked this question in verse 17. This one guy, we'll talk about him in just a moment. In verse 17, Jesus says, Weren't not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? You see, there was only one who turned around and he came back. But see, the rest of them, all nine of them, they got exactly what they asked for. And they never went back to the one who gave it to them. They forgot about the blessing from the blesser who gave them exactly what they asked for. They were so excited to re-enter life. They were so excited to go back to the way things were before. They were so excited. They, they just kept traveling on to the priest. And, and I wonder how often we are like these other nine. I wonder how often God has blessed us with something. And I wonder how often that He's given us something. He's answered a prayer exactly as we have asked Him to. And then he looks at us and he's like, where, where did you, why didn't you come back? How often we pray for something and, and maybe out of routine, maybe out of desperation, we pray for something and we get it and what happens? We go back to life just like nothing ever happened. We re-enter life just like nothing ever changed. We get exactly what we asked for, what exactly this miracle, this amazing event in our life, and yet what do we do with it? We go back into life just like we never experienced that miracle. We never go back to thank God for those things He gives us. And I'm so thankful that God doesn't work this way. But what if God only let us keep the answers that we returned thanks for? What if you were so desperately sick and you were begging God to heal your body physically? And He did. And then you never returned to give thanks. And He's like, fine, if that's the way you're going to play this game, I can do this too. And you went right back to the sickness. What if you were so desperate for a job that you got on your knees and you begged Christ for a job and all of a sudden you got the interview and you got the job and you're like, yes, I did it. I got this job and I'm so excited. And you just started going to work every single day and you drove to work and you never stopped to thank God for the blessing and answering your prayer the way He did. And He's like, listen, if that's the way you want to do it, fine. You don't like it, I'll take it back. See, God doesn't answer our prayers that way. He doesn't do that. But what if He did? What if He answered our prayers in proportion to the thanksgiving that we gave Him for those answered prayers? See, He doesn't take the healing away 
from those nine people, or from any of the ten, even the nine who didn't come back. He doesn't do that. But you know what those nine miss out on? They miss out on a greater blessing. They miss out on the fact that their thanksgiving actually could heal them on the inside instead of just on the outside. They miss out on the fact that their thanksgiving could heal their heart. And this one guy who realized things could be different, this one guy who, who was so thankful that he couldn't just continue with life, he had to go back and see Jesus. This one guy realized that there's more to healing than just our physical aspect. And this healed heart that he has on the inside is a much greater blessing. You see, all ten of them, they cry out to Jesus. They all recognize Him as Master. They all get this same blessing, but only one of them is interested, and he comes back to give thanks. He comes back uh, instead of going to life as usual. Why don't you look at, with me in verse 15. You see all ten of them. They go show themselves. They're on their way to show themselves to be to the priest to, that they are healed. And they're all talking about all these different things they're all excited about. But one of them, he doesn't even make it to the priest. He doesn't make it to the rituals. He doesn't make it to the washings they would all have to do to reenter life. On the way in verse 15, he says, But one of them... Seeing that he was healed, returned with a loud voice, gave glory to God. In verse 16, he fell face down at his feet, thanking him. And he was a Samaritan. See, this is a beautiful response to the life change that Jesus had produced in his, in his life. I want you to notice how he returns. It says he returns, did you hear that? With a loud voice. The, the Greek word there is megos, with a great voice. Voice And it's not just loud in volume, it's loud and it's great in quality. And so there's this clearness in his voice that wasn't there before. There's this, this volume that he can reach that it wasn't there before. Remember, that's one of the side effects or one of the effects of leprosy is this low, raspy voice. And all of a sudden he comes back to Jesus and he has this magnificent voice and he yells out as he gets down on his knees and he falls face first in front of Jesus out of response to what Jesus did for him. Him. And I want to share with you just my heart for just a moment. Every one of us sitting in this room, every one of us watching online right now, we have a Jesus who has done so much for us. So many things to be thankful for beyond just our physical health. And yet, how did we just stand and worship Him? Did we do it with this low, raspy voice like He never made a difference in our life? Or did we do it with this great volume because this is what He gave us? And you see, we ought to be ashamed of ourselves if we praise Jesus with a low, raspy voice and a whisper so nobody else hears us. We ought to be like this man who says, this is the voice I have, regardless of how good you can sing. I'm not talking about an ability to sing whatsoever. It's not about your ability to sing. It's about your ability to use a voice for God. And he does this amazing thing that he has this great voice and he cries out, this is the God who saved me. This is the God who changed me. This is the God who's given me everything I've ever needed and everything I desire. This is how our worship, this is what our worship should look like. And we're going to talk about worship a little more next week. But our worship should not be a whisper. Our worship should be loud. Our worship should be in response to the God who deserves because He changed everything for us. And this God who changes everything, this God who's the master, let's be honest, He deserves more than whispers. And He deserves more than mumbles underneath, underneath our breath. He deserves this great voice because He gave it to you to return thanks to Him. In verse 17, Jesus sees His worship and He hears His thanksgiving. And Jesus responds in verse 17 and 18, but He really doesn't respond to the man at first. He responds to all those people 
that are kind of watching this situation. In verse 17, he does it with a series of questions. It says, Then Jesus said, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Verse 18. Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? You see, Jesus points out that he's a foreigner, and he doesn't do it to shame him, but he does it as an example. The guy is a Samaritan. Remember we talked about this is up north and down south, and he's the Samaritan here in the middle. And Jesus is not one of these guys from the middle. And so if there's anybody who shouldn't have come back, if there's anybody who had an opportunity to walk away, it was this guy from the middle. If there was anybody that says, hey, God owes me this because these people have been so bad to me, these people have treated me this way for all these years and all of our family history, it should have been this guy. If there was any of the ten who should have walked away and should not have come back to Jesus, should have let all the culture and the conventional wisdom of the day say, hey, we're not going back because we don't owe him anything. He's a terrible guy because of the category he lives in and the area he lives in. It could have been this guy. You see, but the difference that Jesus made in this guy's life makes him see past those differences. The power that Jesus possesses draws him back to him. The power of his message is open to everybody. And often what we find is the people who we think are the most open to it may not be. And the people we think that are least likely to respond are the ones that come back and find themselves at the feet of Jesus. I want to finish with verse 19. In verse 19, because Jesus turns attention not from this crowd, but to the man himself. In verse 19, he told him, or he told him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. And this, this word that's used at the end of this verse, made well, you may have a different translation. It may say it has made you pure, or it has, it has healed you, or a better translation would be your faith has saved you. You see, there's something interesting about this word because this word is not the same word that's used in verse 13 or verse 15 when he says that you're clean and you're cleansed. It's not the same blessing that everybody else gets. When he tells them to go show themselves to the priest because you're cleansed, because you're clean, this is not that same word. This is a different Greek word. And the reason is because all ten of them got cleansed. All ten of them got a physical healing, but only one of them gets a heart healing. Only one of them gets a chance to see salvation. Only one of them gets this word. And this word is just that. It means to be saved. It means to be made whole and complete. It means to be saved from the penalties, but also to be saved and to to stop obstructing the blessings that God has for you. That there's a barrier between you and what God has for you. And that barrier has been removed. There's penalties of sin that have been removed and those things have been taken care of. And so this is not just forgiveness. This is eternal life. This is a relationship with Him. This is a blessing that God has for you and those those blessings are no longer hindered by your sin this is a picture of salvation this is a picture of what happens in our world today you see there are a lot of people that will acknowledge the mercy and compassion of christ they'll talk a lot about how much jesus loves and they'll talk about how how great there is of this jesus You see, cleansing happens by the work and the mercy of Christ, but salvation and the relationship happens not by the rituals of washing, not by their obedience, but the salvation of this man happens because he returns and he responds to what Jesus has already done in his life. You see, there's a picture here of what it looks like to be saved, not physically, but spiritually as well. See, what Jesus did on the cross is open to everybody. But the only ones who get this last part, your faith has saved you or made you well, are the ones who come back to Him and thank Him for what He's done for them. 
See, the cross is open. The healing is there for everybody. But the mercy and the compassion that Christ has, it's open to everybody. The salvation and the relationship only applies to those who are willing to come back and those who are willing to respond to Him because not they earned it, not they deserved it, not because they did the rituals or the washing, not because they become members of a church, but simply because they responded to what He has done for them. What we have here is a picture not just of a physical health that we should be thankful for, but a spiritual health that we should be thankful for as well. You see, when we come to know Christ, we can't help but to be overwhelmed by the miracle that He's done in our life. You see, the greatest miracle that Jesus does in our life is not our physical healing. Doctors can do a lot of that. Surgeries can do amazing things. The greatest miracle that Jesus did wasn't a physical healing. It was a spiritual heart transplant that this guy experienced because what Jesus did in his life and turns and he gives Christ glory. He thanks Christ. And for all of us sitting in here, we should be thankful not just for our physical health that allow us to come here, but we ought to be thankful for the spiritual health that he gives us as well. Let's pray together.